Good morning, church. Good morning. <laughs> oh, wow. A lot of energy. Great. Uh, <laughs> today we shall be talking about the majesty of God. And we will be in Psalms number eight. Psalm eight. <laughs> Thanks, Pastor Max. <laughs> we'll be in Psalm eight. All right. So if you want to open, we're going to read through it. <coughs> Psalm number eight. To the choir master, according to the gift a psalm of David. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes, to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the path, paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are good. You are majestic. Thank you that you care for us. And thank you that we can live in light of this. We're asking that as we dive deeper into your word, that you shall open our hearts, speak through me, and let your name be glorified in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So today we shall be talking about the majesty of God. The majesty of God. So I have four points. So if you're taking notes, this is now the time to write it down. First point is, God is worthy of praise. Second, God cares about us. The third, God has given you dominion. And fourth, God is good. First, God is worthy of praise. Second, God cares about you. Third, God has given you dominion. And fourth, God is good. So, in the first and second verse, uh, David establishes that God is worthy of praise. And it reads, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you've established your strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. So David starts off by saying, compared to all kings of the earth, God comes up on top. He is the head honcho. Now, once upon a time, Israel, they did not have a king. They did not actually start with a king. They were a nation who were supposed to show what it looked like to follow God and God alone. So they had judges, they had Moses, but not an earthly king. Until a point, they were like, we don't want to be like, we want to be like every other nation. We want to have a king. We don't want God to be our king alone. Now, that was a very bad decision as you look through history. Um, and even though David was one of these kings, in verse 1, he shows that he knew he did not compare to the true king, which was God himself. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. It's the same David that wrote these words in Psalms 20, verse 7 to 8. He says, some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. It's not in chariots or military power or in strategies that David knew um, they would succeed but in the name of the Lord, our God. All those things pass away, 
but the name of the Lord God lasts forever. When we look at all the kings in the Bible, whether good or bad, whether over Israel, whether for a short time or a long time, they all had something in common. They all were limited to this earth. All their rule, all their power did not leave this earth. But David says in verse 1, your glory is above the heavens, high above the heavens. God is in the same. He's majestic, and in all the earth, he comes out on top, and his glory is above the heavens, out of this world. In verse 2, David goes on to say, Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you've established strength because of your foes, to still the enemy and the avenger. So what does this mean? It means that God uses babies to establish his strength. When you think of babies, what do you think of? Do you think of dependent? What? Yes, cute. Cute, dependent, um, small beings. And God says, and David says here, that God uses and shows his power through these small beings. Not with big ar armies or weapons or wealth or even some great inventions. He uses babies to establish his strength. This reminds me of uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 1, 27-29, which reads, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. God chooses to use the weak. He could use the strong, but he chooses to use the weak to establish his power. If you look throughout history, you can see that all the works of God he uses, most times, the things that we don't expect. How did the people of Israel come out of Israel? Was it because they had a huge army and a very great inspirational leader? Nah. He used the 80-year-old man <laughs> who was a shepherd, and he used them to bring, that out, bring them out of the nation. He uses the weak to shame the strong. Just like he used an old man and an old woman to start a nation, he uses the weak to shame the strong. Just like he used a young man, David, to slay a giant, Goliath, he uses the weak to shame the strong. He used one prophet to silence 450. He used 300 men to slay 15,000. He uses one man, Jesus, to change the world. God uses the weak to shame the strong. Imagine you're walking down the street and then you see uh, Steve Jobs. That's probably not going to happen. Um, <laughs> but imagine... You see Steve Jobs, and the first thing that comes to your mind is like, ooh, I have the latest iPhone. Let me show him that I have the latest iPhone. And you're like, hey, Steve Jobs, do you have the latest iPhone? Would that make sense? <laughs> no, it would not, because Steve Jobs is one of the pioneers of the iPhone. <laughs> and you bragging to him does not make a difference. In the same way, God's enemies do not brag before God because he gave them breath. You can try, and some enemies are stupid enough to do that, but... <laughs> If out of the babies and infants he establishes strength, that means he gives life. That means no one else can stand next to him. Now, this same all-powerful, all-knowing God that gives life and is set high above the heavens, this same God, David says, he cares for you. He attends to you. He says in verse 3, he says, When I look at the heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have made, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? 
Babysets care. It's not just a general word of love. The word care means to attend to, to look out for, like a mother would look out for a child. God seeks the well-being of you. He loves you. This God is mindful of you. He's thinking of you. Another scenario. What if you get a text? And the text says, hey, I was thinking of you. Um, I hope you're doing good. Uh, just let me know if you need anything. Love, the president. Would you believe that text? No, because nobody here knows the president. I hope. Or if you do, let me know. Um, but <laughs> you can imagine how you would feel if the president texted you. But here, the word of God says that the creator of the whole universe cares about you. He cares deeply about you. He is mindful of you. He's thinking of you. And he takes care of you. First Peter 5, 6 to 7 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your cares, your anxiety on him, because he cares. If this powerful God who created heaven and earth cares for you, then our response should not be worry. Her response should be to go to him every single time we have something. Every single time, if he says, come, let me take your anxieties, cast your burdens on me, then we should go to him. If this God who can raise the dead cares, we surely can depend on him. Now, God doesn't just care by providing for us. He cares by giving us responsibility. In verse 5 to 8, it says, Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the seas, whatever passes along the path of the seas. So this actually goes in line with Genesis 1, 26. After God had created the whole earth, he says, then God said in Genesis 1, 26, he says, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the seas and over the bird of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and every creeping thing, everything that creeps on the earth. God cares by giving us responsibility. God made Adam, he put him in the garden and he says, work, be fruitful and multiply. multiply. He asked him to till it. That means that the gift of responsibility is actually a good gift, right? He's called us not just to receive from him, but he's called us to create with him, to steward with him, to partner with him in the ruling of the whole earth. That includes every animal, every land. And as you can see, we have, we still have dominion over every animal and every land. Fun fact, about 10 years ago, two scientists decided to estimate the total number of birds on the planet. The number they came up with was 200 to 400 billion individual birds. So this was 10 years ago. Compared to 5 billion people, this amounts to 40 birds per person. Which means if all the birds decided one day to gang together and take over the world, they could attack us. 40 birds per person. <laughs> so now, can you fight off 40 birds? Anyone? Oh, Evan, great. I actually believe it. The beard, <laughs> the beard shows. <laughs> 
But that's not ever going to happen because God has given us dominion over all the animals and all natural world. But this doesn't just limit us to the birds, the fish, the bears, sharks, Nemo, whoever. But he has also called us to dominion in the things that are not so plain. That's our jobs, our relationships, those things under our responsibility. God gave him, God gave Adam the garden and asked him to be fruitful and multiply, to be creative with it. Adam created from the garden. And that means everything that is in our, in our responsibility is also part of the dominion God has given unto us, which means that work is a blessing. God created work to be a blessing. I mean, I feel like it when you go to work on Monday and you're tired, but it's supposed to be a blessing. God put Adam in the garden and they called it good. Work is good. When you're with your family and you're stewarding your relationships well, that is good. So remember, and then when you're working, you should work unto the Lord because God has made it to be good and to be enjoyable. But humans are not perfect. And uh, with all the dominion we have, we tend to um, go very, very far left with it. Let's look in Genesis 3, 1 to 7, after God has given dominion to Adam. So you can turn there, Genesis 3, 1 to 7. Are we there? The first book of the Bible. Genesis 3, 1 to 7. Now the servant was more crafty than any other beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, The God actually said, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the trees, or the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and ate. So here... God has given Adam and Eve a responsibility. He's given them dominion in the garden. He said, you can do whatever you like. Just don't eat this one tree. But they disobeyed. They left his rule and they ate. By disobeying the command that God had given to them, they refused to view God as their ultimate king. They wanted to take what he had given them but rule by themselves. When we disobey God, we refuse him as our and what was the result? What was the result of all that? Sin and death entered the world, and sin and death reigned. Romans 8:12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. So this is not just Adam that caused this. It says right here that all men have sinned. We all sin. When we disobey, we leave God's ultimate rule, and we give our rule to sin and death. When Adam rejected God, sin and death reigned. Adam did it, Israel did it, and we do it too. All have sinned. So a recap. God is high above every other one, 
And that same God cares about us. That same God has given us dominion, but we have bit the hand that fed us, fed us, and we denied his rule and let sin and death reign. But what is his response to this? We're in an Advent season, and we are reminded daily of how God came down in a human flesh to die for our sins. That is his response. If we go back to verse 5, it says, Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. Psalms 8, verse 5. You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. This actually is quoted in Hebrews. The writer of Hebrew quotes this. So a couple of hundred or thousand years forward, um, Hebrew says this in Hebrews 2, 5 to 9. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, Psalms 8. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little, a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not see everything subjected to him, but we will see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he may taste death for everyone. God's response to our disobedience, God's response to letting sin into the world and death into the world is to send Jesus to take the harshest death for us, to take the consequences for that. In Hebrews, they quote Jesus to having all things under his feet. But this doesn't necessarily just mean the physical realm like animals and stuff like that. This, he talks about, having Jesus underneath his feet, also applies to sin and death. God's response to our rebellion, God's response to us rejecting him as king, was to send Jesus to free us from our sin, to bring us back under the perfect dominion of this is our God. This is how good he is. This is how majestic he is. He created the heavens and the earth, and yet we disobeyed him. But he sent his son to die for our sins to bring us back into this perfect union with him. And now under this union, we have even more dominion. We have more dominion over sin, over the world. Romans 6.14, for sin will no longer have dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under in verse 17, it says, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and have been set free from sin and become slaves to righteousness. We have dominion over sin. We have dominion over the enemy. And we should now live like Jesus lived through his power, not living as slaves to sin, but as slaves to righteousness. And in this, we have the opportunity to bring others into this, into this perfect rule of a perfect king. Before Christ, we were twisted, we twisted the good gift that God gave us and it resulted in sin, sickness, war, and death. But now in Christ, we have dominion over sin. And one day, soon and very soon, we will see that death is fully crushed forever. This psalm starts with how great God is and ends with how great God is. 
So let this be a lesson to us. When we walk in our lives, when we go to work, when we love our families, when we use our dominion, let this be a lesson to us that we should start with God and end with God. Our dominion is supposed to point back to God. Now that we've been set free from sin, let us live in holiness and bring others into this. Romans 6.22 says, But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and in its end, eternal life. Let us use our dominion God's way, for the result is eternal life. In summary, we have seen how David reminds us that our God is great, so great that he can use the weak to conform the strong. How God cares for you, specifically, he knows what you need and he's thinking of you. And how he's giving you dominion, not over the natural alone but in Christ over sin and death. And all this is great. All this is dandy. Yes, we have dominion. Yay, we can have t-shirts and songs about it. But <laughs> all these hinge on a condition. They hinge on the condition in the first and last verse. So if we look at the first verse and the last verse of Psalm 8, it says, O Lord, our Lord. These are not just words thrown in there for effect. These are words that mean something. Lord, our Lord. If you were here a couple of weeks ago, John reminded us that Lord means Yahweh. It's a specific word that shows a relationship with you and God. All these are showing that David actually stayed underneath the rule of God. He obeyed God. All these things are true only if you make him your Lord. Not just a general Lord, not just someone who has good advice, not just someone you go to when you need something, but your personal Lord. John 14, 15 says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Jesus says those things. Make him your Lord and watch all things fall under the perfect design of the perfect king. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are good. We thank you that you are majestic. We thank you, Lord God, that your name reigns in all the earth and that no one, even in the heavens, can compare. We're asking, Lord, that as we live our day-to-day -day lives, as we steward all the things you've put underneath us, that we may remember to glorify you in it, that we may seek your name to be magnified in it, that we may see the majesty and that we may praise you just like David did, that we may remind ourselves and praise you for how majestic you are. In Jesus' name, amen.